Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network for an NFL Monday that isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in everybody. I hope y'all are doing fan-flippin-tabulous here today or tonight or whenever it is that you may be listening. It's our NFL Monday show for week four Uh, We're just going to hop right into it because there's a lot to cover today. I did not think there would be so much to cover, but it's a long show and a long memes of the weekend as well. So we'll get to all of that coming up here today. I didn't really give you anything specific. I'm just saying we have a lot of stuff. So we'll jump right in with the Brady-Belichick game because, of course, we're going to start with the Brady-Belichick game because it was the game of the day and the storyline of the year and really two years and really 20 years because it's the storyline of our lifetime in professional football, and it ended with Nick Folk. Did not think it would end with Nick Folk. Everything up to that point looked like a Hollywood script that the entitled Patriots fans boo Tom Brady, which was just stupid, just stupid. You, I, I wanted to come in there and just smack all those Patriots fans on the back of their head for booing Tom Brady. Just not, I mean... Enough with that. I'm not going to get angry here. So you have this Hollywood story of Brady getting kind of booed and kind of celebrated, and he sets the touchdown record, but he doesn't get to set the touchdown record. He gets a little slighted. They get to keep the football, and there's a weird confusion because did he get 27 yards or did he get 28 yards because we're still doing this thing where we measure first downs with chains and we're just kind of ball spotting. And it's like, did he get 27 or 28 yards on that catch? And is that enough to break the record? And not poetic Tom Brady fashion. So Brady breaks the record early in the game. They get a field goal off the first drive. And then it's just a lot of poop after that. It was 3-0 and then it was like 6-7 and teetering down the field 9-7 at one point. Just, or I'm sorry, 13-7 at one point. Just kind of like back and forth and back and forth. 13-7, la di da da And then we get to the fourth quarter, and that's when everything starts to pick up. Not just because Bill Belichick's son, Steve Belichick, the de facto defensive coordinator for the Patriots, became maybe the meme of the weekend. This is more of a meme of the weekend episode topic, but it does go along with the Patriots and Buccaneers game. Not only does he become a meme for looking absolutely crazy on the sidelines, but the Patriots defense also kind of starts to fall a little bit. And This is the part that's interesting because while you would write up the Hollywood script of Tom Brady going head-to-head against the Patriots, and he kind of did some of that, it wasn't like what we've kind of come to expect from the adrenaline junkie football where we just expect Tom Brady to have miraculous drive after miraculous drive with 37 seconds like Aaron Rodgers or a minute 20 like he did against the Cowboys the first night of the season. Like Tom Brady's had moments like that, but he got the ball in this one. After Mac Jones went down and scored a touchdown to make it 14-13, and then he kicked a field goal, and then the Patriots kicked a field goal, and then he got the ball with 
four minutes and 30 seconds to go and just needed to go the whole length of the field. And on the first play, you got a pass interference call on Kyle Van Noy. So pretty much like 30-yard pass interference. They're already across midfield. A lot of the drama has been sucked out of the situation. And then things get a little wacky because Antonio Brown, who kind of had a revenge game of his own since Brady didn't play that well and Gronk didn't make the trip because he literally had a punctured lung and three broken ribs, but he wanted to play his first game in New England again. Gronk wasn't there and I think that had a lot to do with why the Patriot or the Buccaneers got force of habit why the Buccaneers were struggling to score in the red zone was because of Rob Gronkowski's absence I never realized how big of a red zone threat he was given also that JC Jackson pretty much contained Mike Evans for most of the game like Mike Evans had seven catches for 75 yards and he was the leading receiver for the team but Mike Evans got like 12 targets and one of them was a pass interference call. So that like did a pretty good job containing Mike Evans in this game, especially in the red zone. And so Tampa Bay ends up getting field goal, field goal. And then Antonio Brown on that play before I got sidetracked, Antonio Brown missed the pass and it went like to his right, but he couldn't track down the ball in the rain. And so Antonio Brown just kind of was like, oh, snap, I don't see the ball. Oh, it would have been a touchdown if I had if I had tracked it down earlier. So that goes incomplete. Then the Patriots have to call a timeout because, oh, my Lord, they just messed up their defensive coverages. So they get the incomplete pass but still have to call a timeout. And then they throw an incompletion to A.B., kick the field goal from 48 that – if you're a Patriots fan, you can see it. You can see it just start to fade out the side of the end zone. It doesn't go in, but it did go in. It, we're just going to fade outside the goalpost, not the end zone. Just fade out the goalpost, and it didn't go in. And so New England finds themselves down to two minutes to go. And this is like a Hollywood story plot twist where we were all like, okay, the cliche is Tom Brady is going to lead the game-winning drive down a point against the Buc- or against the Patriots, and he's going to go win. And the plot twist ends up being, no, the rookie guy has to be the person to go down the field and win the game. And the Patriots did the Patriots thing where it's like you build out the drama. Yeah, they had the one pass interference call that, you know, I think is going to be contested. I think it should have been a hold and not a pass interference, but I think because Mac Jones threw it there, it would it ends up getting called. And so they just matriculate like six yards down the field like they had the whole game, plus the pass interference that got them 15 yards. And if you're Tampa Bay, and Carlton Davis is your number one corner, but he's out now with an injury. You still don't have Sean Murphy bunting. You've just signed Richard Sherman off the street to try and play, and Jacoby Myers is cooking him for most of the game. And you have one of the worst passing defenses in the NFL. You do what they did towards the end of the game, which is just blitz, 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 and blitz some more. And... They rush five, they rush six, pretty much every play, and Mac Jones keeps completing passes. At one point, Mac Jones had 19 straight completions because the Bucks can't do anything in coverage. Their entire game plan is, let's just put pressure on Mac Jones and make it so that he's going to force a mistake or he's going to take a sack because we can do great at stopping the run. We're great in pass rush. The Patriots' offensive line is quite disappointing I think is the word there but even still like the Buccaneers are basically saying okay you're not going to run the ball by the way you want to know how many run plays the Patriots had in that game they had nine rushes for negative one yards the Patriots had negative one yards of rushing because they basically just said oh you're really good at stopping the run but you can't stop the pass so we're going to use the pass like the run just carve you up with Mac Jones completing 8.9 yards per pass attempt, which is total Mac Jones. He completed 19 consecutive passes, but they just using the run like, or using the pass like the run a la Steelers last year, a la Washington with Alex Smith. And is it game managing? Yes, but it's still super impressive when Mac Jones can complete 77% of his passes 
and complete 19 in a row because it does just enough to win one of these shootout type games is beat them three yards at a time they're going to rush you only have three seconds but you're still going to find a way to get the running back or get it to the wide receiver all the things we crap on big ben for mac jones just did it so much better than ben roethlisberger and it was really impressive i give mac jones credit he did great plays he threw under duress with five collapsing after that it pass interference we were talking about on the third down before the field goal he gets the pass batted down at the line of scrimmage I was stunned there wasn't dozens of those I'm amazed he only took four sacks when it felt like Tampa was there the whole time and if you're Tampa's defense of course you do that because you have a league best run stopping defense and you have a league worst pass stopping defense so teams are just going to go to the strategy of using the pass as a substitute for the run with screen passes and leak outs from the running back and wheel routes and all that stuff. And if you're Tampa, what else are you going to do in that situation? So they do a good job there. Sets up the 56-yarder for Nick Folk that bangs off the crossbar. And it's just like that can't be how it ends. That can't be how this game ends is a kick off the crossbar. After everything New England did, you're going to swipe it from him on that last little sliver of hope you're gonna take it away right at the end it was almost cruel almost cruel except for the fact that the patriots did kind of have all that success across the last two decades that makes any suffering they have now a little less minute but the patriots fans you got kind of tom brady'd wasn't like how Tom Brady does it to other people. You just got heartache, and every football fan experiences heartache. Tom Brady experienced heartache. Patriots fans experienced heartache. Like, everyone's going to go through heartache at some point. It's just in this case, you got to see it kind of in the Tom Brady way of picking you apart. Didn't quite get there this time, but you got a little bit of that experience. And you get the kicker heartache, which doesn't happen as much to y'all. Usually it happens to teams with bad kickers. And Nick Folk... If, if, if this were the old Nick Folk, I would have laughed at the idea of him kicking a 56-yard field goal. This was Bucks Nick Folk would have been insane. But this is Nick Folk that before that had made 35 consecutive field goals. So, like the strategy, could have gone either way with it. Uh, we'll talk about whether punting or kicking field goals are for cowards later. But put the faith in the kicker, who had been really, really good so far. So, credit to the Patriots. They were, they were willing to commit to it and... By gosh, they almost had it. I commend them for their effort, and I commend commend Mac Jones for uh, making me feel good about Mac Jones, even if it was slightly an above-average game and he didn't have to throw the ball 15 yards down the field. I still commend Mac Jones for his performance. As for Tom Brady, congrats. He got the win. And that's ultimately all Tom Brady cares about. It was a fun spectacle around all that stuff. The game was fun, but the spectacle, they did a pretty good job around it. I think the video of him and Bob Kraft was good, him and Drew Brees, all that stuff was like, okay, we're selling this up a little bit. The NFL doesn't do those like drama-filled narratives a lot, and this all felt different and all felt strange, and I thought they did a good job with all of that. So I thought that this was a fun experience, and we got another classic primetime game. So win-win for everyone in America coming out of this first Brady Belichick matchup, probably the only Brady Belichick matchup, but still this fun first Brady Belichick matchup. All right, let's get to the rest of Sunday's action, or at least some of Sunday's action, because we'll go laugh at other stuff later. And uh, we've got a new song to play here. I'm very excited about because we don't get to use this song for one of them. And the fact that both New York teams won means that we get to play this. Spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart 
I don't think we are going to get to use that song the rest of the season to represent both of our NFL teams from New Jersey, New Jersey, winning on Sunday. Both of them got their first wins of the season, and both of them did it in absolutely spectacular fashion. I want to start off with the Giants one because I think it's more interesting. The Saints had a 21-10 lead in the fourth quarter before the Giants put up 18 unanswered points on the New Orleans Saints. One, a defense that I still can't figure out if it's really good or really bad. Like, at times looks like a top-five defense and at other times is getting smacked by the Panthers and Giants who, with all due respect to Sam Darnold, are subpar to mediocre offenses. And then they're holding Aaron Rodgers to three points another week. So still trying to figure out whether the Saints are good or not on defense. Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson, we can combine both of them together. Whoo! Shout out to both of them for making me eat my words for one week every couple years with uh, Daniel Jones, at least. With Zach Wilson, I don't think I've said anything bad about Zach Wilson. I just don't know what to do with Zach Wilson and what the Jets season is at this point because a lot of the times with great quarterbacks, the play kind of just pops off the screen, and obviously none of the rookie quarterbacks this year have had play that pops off the screen except for Daniel uh, Sorry, not Daniel Jones, Davis Mills having a zero QBR in the first half that always pops off the screen when you see a zero QBR on the board we'll talk more about that one in memes of the weekend but it always pops off when you see something that horrendously bad but in terms of good rookie quarterbacks we haven't seen very much this year and Zach Wilson had an above average game and and the one big play to Corey Davis is the one that if you're a Jets fan you can walk away and say okay this is a product of us having literally the worst offense in the NFL that's what you can look at and say okay there's something there Corey Davis having the two touchdowns obviously a big deal Um, defense being able to sack Tannehill six times that's something to build off of so if you're a Jets fan it's just small victories like that you can walk through throughout the season if you're a Giants fan I mean today was fun (laughs) <laughs> I was getting ready to make the same joke I did last week about how it's got to suck to be in the New York, New Jersey area because your two local games are that Titans and Jets game and the other one being the Giants and Saints. And the Giants-Saints game was not only looking like it was going to be not close but also boring, like one of these 21-10 games where the Taysom Hill package scores two of the touchdowns, which... If you have Alvin Kamara on your fantasy team, you signed up for this. You signed up for the Taysom Hill package, cannibalizing at least some of your touchdowns. But it happened to happen twice in in that game on Sunday. And so... Uh, if you're the Giants, that was super fun football. The last, you know, fourth quarter in overtime, that was super duper fun football if you're a New York Giants fan. And I take the good with the bad in these cases. I know the Giants have played a couple close games this year so far, and close games are at least something to be entertained by if you have a mediocre team. One that at least you feel like you have some kind of a chance down at the end. It's not like you know, when Ben Roethlisberger gets the ball late in the game, and you're like, oh, well, we know this is not going to work out. With Daniel Jones, at least, and Saquon Barkley, too, in this game, both of them were just, at least the big play threat is there. <laughs> Something popping off if Jason Garrett finally gets his head out of his ass and calls a, an explosive type player a wheel route, or something fun could theoretically happen. So if you're a Giants fan, just enjoy the fun football. You're probably going to fire Gettleman at the end of the year. You're probably going to move on from Daniel Jones or at least decline the fifth-year option and bring in some competition for him. But enjoy it while you have it. Fun moments like scoring 18 unanswered points against the Saints, that's going to be your victory for the season. So congratulations, Giants. And I'm not being disingenuous either. I know we have beef with Giants fans because Giants fans are overconfident and Giants fans did this all to themselves and it's been a decade since you went to the Super Bowl and a decade of perpetual mediocrity for the Giants but at the same time I am genuinely happy for you and I was genuinely entertained it wasn't like last week's Falcons Giants game that went down to the wire and the whole game was awful 
The fourth quarter was super entertaining between the Giants and Saints. So great job on your guys' part. You left us thoroughly entertained. If you're the Jets, just try and find some kind of positives. I hope you weren't watching the game at the beginning. I hope you had the Red Zone channel on and then switched over once you saw it was still close. Just find something good to take away. Look at your 93 QBR for Zach Wilson and say that that's a victory, um, which I think just without the interceptions, he would have had about what Daniel Jones had, which was, I think, 108 QBR, if I remember correctly. It was a great job by Daniel Jones. So congratulations to the New York teams. You guys get to walk away victorious here this week. All right, let's talk about the Cardinals If you want the best of the best Cardinals analysis, make sure to check out the Red Rain podcast with my man Walter Mitchell, of course, which I produce. You can check that out everywhere you get podcasts and follow Revenge of the Birds. Um, It's going to be great Cardinals content, I presume, because we haven't recorded it yet. By the time I'm recording this, this comes out before I produce Red Rain. But if you want the best Cardinals analysis from that, let's go there now. With that on the front end, let's talk about the Cardinals whooping up on the Rams because Kyler Murray looks amazing. And and they have the second best offense in the NFL. Like, bar none, coming into this game, you probably could have said they had the second best offense in the NFL. This point, it is painstakingly clear that that is the second best offense in the NFL that the Arizona Cardinals have. And Kyler Murray is leading the charge on that front with a game yesterday that put him at 120.3 QBR. Well, that game was 120.3 QBR for Kyler Murray, finishing with 24 of 32 passing, which is 75 freaking percent. Like when Josh Allen last year had the game against Seattle where he had like 85% completion percentage and like 340 yards, I was like, wow, that's one of the best games I've ever seen. And Kyler Murray's had like three of those games already this year where I'm just amazed at how great this dude is at quarterback. And so Kyler Murray for the season now has a 113.4 QBR, number freaking one in the NFL, 76% completion percentage on the season, which will probably come down a little bit, but it's like a nine-point improvement year-over-year for Kyla Murray on pace for 4,000 passing yards, and of course, he also is the threat with his legs because he's Kyla Murray, and he's the new Russell Wilson, and he can scramble touchdowns if you need him to, or get you 18 yards on a third and 14 like he did against the Rams. And just, you know, kind of make the Rams defense look silly. And this is kind of the beauty and also the curse of having a Kyler Murray type is even if you're stacked up against Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and company, because the Rams got, you know, okay pressures in this game on the Cardinals. It's Kyler Murray's ability to buy time and what Justin Herbert does and what Baker Mayfield does and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen is that you can buy time in the backfield when your offensive line breaks down or they come with six pressures. And Aaron Rodgers does some of this too, but Aaron Rodgers' gift like Tom Brady is the quick release. Kyler Murray's is that the play is never really dead until Kyler Murray is either you know sliding to the ground, throwing it away, but even then you can get four or five seconds of time in the pocket or in the backfield more so than anything else. Sometimes he runs around in the pocket or steps up and does that, but sometimes he's got to go buy time outside of the pocket. And so if you are a corner in coverage and they're rushing 5-6 trying to blitz Kyla Murray, you're banking on essentially having three to three and a half seconds of being able to cover the person because it's really hard to cover a wide receiver in the NFL, especially when you don't have a zone scheme or a weak side safety or something like that. It can be really, really difficult. And so for the Arizona Cardinals, they getting Rodney Hudson helps tremendously as well. Like you can't have no offensive line, but even in the shortage of offensive line or not having a Justin Murray or not having a, or I don't think, I think it's Justin Pugh. I forgot what Murray's name is. He's the right guard for the Cardinals, but he was out. If you don't have that Murray and you don't have Justin Pugh, you, you can look at least like a semi-competent offensive line. And so for the Arizona Cardinals, I think the big victory there is Kyler 
it Kyler is almost blitz proof. Kyler Murray is almost blitz proof. He did take three sacks against the Rams, but again, the Rams are a really good defense and they're really good at applying pressure. And if you can only stay on Kyler Murray for so long, eventually you are going to get burned, burned by the Arizona Cardinals. And we saw a lot of that in this game for Kyler and Arizona because, you know, they spread the love. A.J. Green, 67 yards and a touchdown. Hopkins, 67 yards. Max Williams, five catches, 66 yards. Rondale Moore, three catches, 28 yards. Running game for Arizona was great. Chase Edmonds, 120 yards. James Conner, 50 yards. Arizona ran for over 200 yards against the Los Angeles Rams. What are you going to do? You've got to take away the top and dare them to beat you with the running game. And the fact Arizona could do that and that Kyler Murray could buy time in the passing game, massive, massive victory for the Arizona Cardinals. Second best offense in the NFL, only behind those magnificent Kansas City Chiefs. Speaking of those magnificent Kansas City Chiefs, they get a victory Monday, which means we can play this song. I had said at the start of the season that Washington was like the easiest team to figure out because they were basically the exact same team as last year. I think now Kansas City is almost just as easy to figure out because they're just as overwhelming on offense as they were last year. They dropped 42 on the Eagles and we were like, huh, felt like they could have scored more. You know, only 42 points seemed like they had a bunch of missed opportunities in there, but they did put up 42 points, and the defense is just worse than it was last year. It's bottom eight in the NFL, which will probably come back to bite them as they play better teams, and we saw what happened against the Chargers when they had that once every 16 games game where they turned the ball over three, four times, and the Chargers took advantage of it because the Chiefs couldn't get a stop on defense, and the Ravens put up 36 points on them, and a lot of them came late in the game when the defense was gassed. So I think the defensive woes are going to come back to bite Kansas City. They're a bottom eight defense, like I said before. It's pretty clear at that, and I think Kansas City is... uh, Still probably uh, the best team in the AFC despite the defensive woes because that offense is just so overwhelming. And and there's I think there's nothing really new to add to the conversation this week with Kansas City. They're, they're the best offense in the NFL. Their defense is really bad. They're vulnerable in the playoffs. And just like every single week, Kansas City is pretty much protected up until the playoffs, which... They The regular season games don't matter for Kansas City anymore. They're going to win that division. Obviously, we saw what happened with the Broncos, and now Teddy Bridgewater is in the concussion protocol, and Drew Locke can't move the football, and they played an offense that's just good enough to score 21 points on that defense, and the offense had no response. So, you know, Denver's not as good as we think they are. I'm pretty sure we'll find out tonight the Raiders aren't as good as we think they are. Chargers are pretty good, but I don't know if the Chargers can win the games to compete with the Kansas City offense. The Chargers offense feels like diet Kansas City at this point, where they'll be like top eight in the league, but I don't know if that's going to be good enough to catch that team without beating them a second time in divisional play. And even that might not get them there, which is, you know, strangely remarkable. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, because we don't get to celebrate a Sam Darnold revenge tour this week. And on the spirit of teams that I feel like we figured out, I think the uh, the Dallas Cowboys are right there too. Because that offense is still just as overwhelming as they've been in the years past. Dallas is 30, I think averaging 36 points per game so far this season, if I remember the stat correctly. Dallas is 36 points per game so far this year. But I think the big improvement for Dallas and the thing that's going to get them to the playoffs, like that division is more locked up than any in football. And I would go even over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are going to just run away with that NFC South this year. I think even then the NFC East is more locked up by the Dallas Cowboys because Washington's defense isn't as good as we thought it was, which their offense sucks. So sorry, Washington, you're headed towards seven and ten. 
Um, the Giants are terrible. The Eagles are actively tanking. So the Cowboys are going to win that division easily. But the Cowboys' defense has improved enough this year where they only allow like 24 points per game, which, again, is not, you know, they'd like to be better. And I think losing Demarcus Lawrence early in the season stinks and moving Micah Parsons to defensive end I don't necessarily agree with the move, but the Cowboys are just going to put their most talented people at the most important positions, and I don't know enough about scouting or NFL, you know, game managing as a play caller to recognize the decision there. I just think they'd be better served with Micah Parsons as an edge linebacker and dropping back in coverage because of his versatility. But if you want Micah Parsons to just hit the quarterback or put pressure on the quarterback, that's totally fine as well. Altogether, the Cowboys just need to do enough to stop defenses a little bit. And they're doing that so far this year, where it used to be, you know, the Cowboys were the new Falcons. I put that in air quotes because the Cowboys were just a team that they're going to have 350 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. They're going to score 30 points. Their opponent's going to score 30 points. And it's going to be a coin flip who wins. They finish 8-8. Eight and eight. But fortunately for the Cowboys this year, their defense is just good enough to hold the defense below or hold opposing offenses below 30. And that's all they need because that offense is still ridiculously overwhelming. I think we're all realizing just how great CeeDee Lamb actually is. Amari Cooper had the huge touchdown and, you know, Trayvon Diggs is going to get his praises. He'll probably win defensive player of the week this week in the NFC for his pair of interceptions that pretty much sealed the deal against Carolina. But even Carolina, who came in with the number one ranked defense in the NFL, which if you're ever looking for overreactions, it's all the people who are talking about Carolina's number one defense coming into this week. And this is me as a, of course, a Sam Darnold revenge tour stan. Um, of course, I mean, I was just happy that we got the the week's worth of content out of it when he beat the Texans, but still, it's interesting how the Panthers got the overreaction and the Cowboys felt like they were getting an overreaction, but now we know their defense has actually improved, and who knew they just needed a top corner, or at least top corner through four games, to help boy balance, boy and balance I'll go balance balance out that defense um, so that they're just not an all-time awful defense like they've been the last two years and again we've talked before about how turnover forcing turnovers is a great way to mask inefficiencies on defense but if you're the Cowboys you don't need it to be sustainable like you know your defense is limited at best but I think that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be fine with that if, you know, he gets 10 interceptions like Xavier Howard did last year, he being Trayvon Diggs, and they get a couple sacks here and there, and they finish like 17th in team defense. That was good enough for the Dolphins with a terrible offense to win 10 games last year, was just getting a lot of turnovers, masking problems on defense. That got Miami to 10 wins. With that offense the Dallas Cowboys have, which is way better than the Miami Dolphins, you know, they could be looking at being even better than the fourth seed, even though, you know, Green Bay is obviously really good and the NFC West has a bunch of teams that will probably beat each other up as we started to see this week. The Cardinals went into LA and won, the Seahawks went into San Francisco and won, the Rams play the Seahawks this week. All the teams are going to end up beating each other up at some point here. And of course, Tampa Bay is really good and uh, the Dallas Cowboys are probably in a tier right below, but it doesn't mean they're going to lock themselves into the four seed. If their defense can just keep those inefficiencies masked by creating a lot of turnovers, which they've done in each of the first four games, Cowboys lead the league in turnovers forced so far this year, then Dallas is going to be just fine. They are going to be good enough to compete with any team in the NFC. Not beat any team in the NFC, but at the very least compete with any team in the NFC. Because eventually we'll see what happens like with Tom Brady did to them on opening night where he can just start picking, picking, picking apart the defense for the Dallas Cowboys that actually isn't as good as it seems. It's the same issue the Kansas City Chiefs have been battling for most of the season. Aaron Rodgers 
Rodgers is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there, and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that, and... Um... You know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good. As far as this weekend, as far as training camp, we will see. There's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers' camp, and, and that's, I don't want to be here. So yes, hip hip hooray, we get to play the uh, Green Bay Packers last dance theme because the Packers won this week against the Steelers, but I do want to just spend the the segment of the Steelers-Packers game, which was not interesting in any way. It was really a game was in hand the whole way through, not a lot of offensive firepower, even by Aaron Rodgers' standards. Like, Aaron Rodgers had, you know, really one of those game manager Aaron Rodgers games from 2019. He had 20 of 36, 248 yards two touchdowns, you know, they ran for 100-plus yards. Like, it was really just a game-manage win for the Packers and just kind of, like, get-through-it type of game. So there's not, like, a lot of intrigue there. What I do want to talk about is Jimmy Garothlisberger, though, which is, of course, the name that we dubbed for Ben Roethlisberger back in 2020 when the Steelers were going on that magical win streak and he had the second lowest yards per completion only behind Alex Smith and he was second fewest behind uh, ahead of Alex Smith sorry ahead of Alex Smith in uh, yards per pass attempt and they basically struggled to run the ball offensive line wasn't very good and they used the offense basically in that way where like the way everyone does it against the Bucks, where you use the pass like the run and you use short slants and out routes and screen passes for four or five yards to try and move the ball across the field. And, and that was the reason why Pittsburgh ended up picking Najee Harris in the first round. We've talked about this again and again. It's some of the things people think about when they first associate the Pittsburgh Steelers. But Jimmy Garothlisberger, a.k.a. Big Ben, is totally done. And this is the weird part is that it hasn't been like a a tour of making jokes like it was last year or drinking up the tears of Big Ben's failure in the playoffs or feeling vindicated because he threw four interceptions in the first half against the Cleveland Browns. This feels like an, an I told you so type of thing. Like it was so obvious last year that after the torn elbow, that should have been the end of Ben Roethlisberger's career. And in the 21st century, you don't see like career-ending injuries the way that things used to be. And, and a lot of times we associate that with, you know, medical medicine getting better, physical therapy getting better, science generally being better than it was back in the 1980s and 90s. I shouldn't say generally. I think across the board, science is in a better place than where it was back then and part of that is being able to rehab and fit and heal injuries and stay in shape for longer periods of time and Ben Roethlisberger probably should have been one of the people who retired at the end of 2019 and the Steelers had given him the contract and it makes everything complex but in reality the Steelers should have moved on from him after 2019 and pivoted to whatever the next step was going to be for the Steelers and that was that offseason that like Teddy Bridgewater was available and Jameis and Cam Newton and Tannehill got the big contract extension and Tom Brady signed with the Buccaneers Philip Rivers ended up going to the Colts which would have been a weird pivot from Ben Roethlisberger to Philip Rivers but even still Pittsburgh should have moved on back then, and everyone kind of realizes it now. Like, two bad weeks of Big Ben looking really, really old kind of do him in, and 78 QBRs and 200 yards, trying to save the game at the end with 200 passing yards, but your team was down the whole way, so it's one of those situations where, like, Matthew Stafford throws, like, 370 yards because he has to try and lead a comeback. It's like just Big Ben was like unable to do it at that point. It was a lot of screen passes to Deontay Johnson. Outside of the one big play to Deontay Johnson that ended in a touchdown, Big Ben threw to him eight times for 47 yards. That's an average of 
seven yards per pass attempt or per completion to Deontay Johnson. James Washington, similar type thing outside of the one big play. It was James Washington, three catches for 39 yards. Najee Harris, six catches for 29 yards. Juju, two catches for 11 yards. Eric Ebron, two catches for eight yards. Like, it was a lot of the old Big Ben, where now he's gotten into his comfort zone and he runs out of time because there's not a great offensive line and it's a lot of check down offense. And... Big, like we were talking about with Kyler Murray earlier, Jimmy Garofflesberger, aka Big Ben, is kind of the opposite of that, where you need to buy him three, four seconds in the pocket. And if you don't have that, it's a lot of these like check down type of plays. And the same thing was going on last year, and the same thing is happening again. And Pittsburgh put all of these weapons around him to try and succeed him. First and foremost, let's just say it now like, Pittsburgh is not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to make it to the playoffs. And this might be like a Yankees situation. The Yankees just clinched uh, the playoff berth yesterday, and they're going to literally play the Boston Red Sox, who I said they could not catch by the end of the season, but they finished with the exact same record. That We might have a Yankees situation here, but I feel confident in saying the Steelers are not going to make the playoffs. Part of that might just be one team has to make it from the AFC South, and that's going to be the Titans, but still, like, you look around at the rest of the conference, and there's not a lot of great teams. I don't know what to do with the AFC West at this point, but Pittsburgh has a big uphill climb at this point, because outside of the game where the defense was the MVP against Buffalo, it's been really, really bad for Pittsburgh, and, you know, part of it is playing good teams like Oakland and playing, or, sorry, Las Vegas and Green Bay and maybe Cincinnati, but the offense doesn't have anything left at this point. This is how things age out. When you think about the Chargers in 2019 when they went 5-11 and and the Steelers when they went 8-8 eight and with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges and they just missed the playoffs that year, that year the Steelers traded their first-round pick to acquire Minka Fitzpatrick. And had they kept that first round pick, they probably would have been somewhere in the 18 range. And so theoretically, the Steelers, who then, you know, used their first round pick to get Devin Bush in 2019 and traded a bunch of pieces there and traded to get Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers could have gotten into the Justin Herbert game if they had pivoted the way the Chargers had pivoted. And part of that is playing the result, but the Chargers pivoted off of Phillip Rivers, didn't get the career-ending Phillip Rivers wanted. He went to play for the Colts. The Chargers walk away with a quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years in a way to rebuild their team more effectively than the Pittsburgh Steelers, who find themselves with a talented defense, no doubt. But as we talked about with Gage Bridgeford a couple weeks ago, not everyone is going to get to stay put on that defense. And so Pittsburgh has pivoted to the small window to build around Big Ben, and the Chargers pivoted off of Phillip Rivers when Phillip Rivers' career was pretty much done with by that last season in Los Angeles. And so you see right in front of us between the Chargers and the Steelers how one team has success in the pivot and how another team that was a dynastic team for 20 years ends up falling by the wayside. And we're starting to see that this year with Pittsburgh because I don't think Pittsburgh can make the playoffs. I do think they'll finish better than the Bengals this year, but... I don't think Pittsburgh can make the playoffs in the AFC. They, they'll be in the mixies. By the time we get to December 1st, two months from now, they'll be in the mixies. But this feels like we're headed towards another 8-9, and 9-8 and eight season. And the only way they'd sneak into the playoffs is as a 7 seed who's going to get whomped by Kansas City. And so for Pittsburgh, this is just kind of treading around in the average range and they've been doing it for the past few years now last year was obviously better with the system and they won a lot of games but Pittsburgh got flattened by a Cleveland Browns team that was barely a top eight team in the NFL we found out at the end of the season so Steelers 
for the mirage of the system doing very well to start the year were, you know, in that 10 to 12 range of teams in the NFL. The year before that, they were 9-7. and seven. The year before that, they were 9-7. and seven. And this year, they're headed towards another stage of 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Not perpetual mediocrity, but perpetually average at this point. And it was not a great pivot for Pittsburgh. We're seeing the ramifications of that with no contingency plan. Matt Canada said, like, we're basically just going to keep doing what we're doing because it's the best we got. And that's how some franchises fade into irrelevance. You know, the thing I've been saying with the Packers to bring this back to this game is like, yes, you can pivot from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love, but what prevents you from becoming the new Giants? There's nothing other than bad decisions. You're bad decisions away, probably two or three bad decisions away from being perpetually mediocre. Every franchise is because it's so important to not make the catastrophic mistakes in the NFL. Keeping Big Ben, catastrophic mistake. Lack of offensive line, catastrophic mistake. Pittsburgh's drafted very well, but the pieces don't come together to form a team. And part of that's just the quarterback situation and how important that position actually is. Another part of it is like you've invested in all these skill position players, but the skill position players don't do you the same help as other positions. It's the reason we talk about not paying running backs or wide receivers or tight ends all the time. And so to bring it back to Pittsburgh, there's nothing preventing you from becoming a six and 10 perpetually mediocre team. And in the case of the Steelers, they're living that experience right now because post killer bees four years ago, they've basically been eight and eight, nine and seven in that third tier of NFL teams for pretty much four years running. That's a long time to be in the middle or be the same team. And the only way out of it is to draft your way out of it, like the Baltimore Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, or like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, netting a generational talent, maybe not even at that position. Like the Titans got Derrick Henry, and that generational talent at the running back position helped pull them out of 9-7 and seven all the time. So netting the generational talent or you fall by the wayside and start rebuilding like the Atlanta Falcons did, who spent, you know, four years going 500 every year. So for Pittsburgh, I think the next couple drafts are probably going to decide which way they go with that, especially since Baltimore and Cleveland are going to be good for the next two years in that division. Cincinnati's getting better. I don't know how good Cincinnati's going to be with the peak version of this team, but they're getting better at the very least. And that leaves a void where if you start losing those division games, looking like the end of the Pittsburgh Steelers and contracts are going to come up and you're going to have to restructure your roster and all that stuff is going to make it very complex for the Pittsburgh Steelers going forward. All right, to wrap up this here NFL Monday here in week four, also memes of the weekend coming up. You can check that out as well. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks because the Seattle Seahawks took down the 49ers on really like a poor, like a really poor first half and then the second half kind of recorrecting things. And Russell Wilson finishes with a 116 QBR, but I think a lot of that is just because he didn't make a lot of mistakes. Like Russell Wilson kind of punted the ball a lot and the 49ers got stops. But Russell Wilson didn't really make any mistakes in this game, and that's going to be the victory walking away for the Seattle Seahawks. If you're San Francisco, it's just bad luck with injuries. I don't think that's how you wanted Trey Lance to kick off his career, although the massive touchdown to Debo Samuel on a total blown coverage is probably going to bump his QBR up. What is his QBR? 116, 157 yards, two touchdowns. He completed 9 of 18 passes. It's the best performance we've seen from a rookie so far this year, so that's a victory for the 49ers, but all of that is significantly inflated by Trey Lance not playing as many snaps. He only played a half's worth of snaps, some of them in garbage time, and the touchdown of Debo Samuel, just a straight-blown coverage. You can say it's on Jamal Adams if you want to make the memes. You could say it's on Sidney Jones. Just a straight-blown coverage to give Trey Lance probably the easiest touchdown he will ever see in his NFL career. And so that was a pretty 
interesting moment, interesting game altogether. I thought we would have a 49ers Seahawks type duel and we we didn't get that. The 49ers pretty much fell apart towards the the back and and that's just injuries. Like Trent Williams went out, George Kittle was playing hurt and he was totally ineffective, four catches, 40 yards trying to play hurt. Um their running backs were some dude named Patrick um and Trey Sermon. No Elijah Mitchell in this game, and Elijah Mitchell's already like their fifth running back. Um, I mentioned uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, Trent Williams went out in the game. George Kittle went out in the game. All their running backs were gone. Javon Kinlaw got hurt. Jason Verrett's been gone the whole season. It's just injuries piling up for the 49ers that just sucks for them. But they did end up, you know, at least putting up a fight against the Seahawks. And we walk away from this learning nothing about that division. But Thursday's Rams-Seahawks game will at least help us figure out that division a little bit more than we did before this. Also, if you want to laugh at some of these other games from this week, like, yeah, I don't know, the, the Titans and the Jets more, or the Texans and the Bills, you can check out Memes of the Weekend as well. You know what, just so I don't have to talk about this on Memes of the Weekend, let's just get to the Lions and Bears. Just, Justin Fields, well done on your part. Picking apart a bad defense was exactly what you needed at this point. Showed some flashes, good for the Bears. Not a lot to take away from that game. It's two pretty crappy teams playing each other, and uh, not a lot of excitement. But there will be some laughable moments for Detroit, like Jared Goff getting that terrible little interception with his elbow and groin area that's not going to help him out much so uh we'll just knock lions and bears out here at the end of this podcast so that we don't have to waste time on it in memes of the weekend because we do every single game here on the take it easy podcast nfl mondays dual episodes laugh at some of them on memes of the weekend and we break down about a dozen or so here so we can laugh at about three or four of the other ones over on memes of the weekend so with that being said ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping in here to the take it easy podcast episodes every single day monday through friday as well as wired up on sundays check them out check them out check them out Leave a five-star review, download, and follow. Check out our partners over at Bet Online Sportsbook as well. I am getting a little too excited because I'm knocking the microphone around now. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. Have a fantabulous rest of your day. Play us out, Frank Sinatra. We might never get to use this sound again. Spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray 